Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Welcome. I am so glad you are here with me today to welcome Elizabeth to the podcast. Elizabeth is mother to four very young children, and her oldest, Louis, was born with a genetic condition so rare that he was only the 12th person in the world diagnosed with it. Not only that, but the mutation was de novo, Latin for in the beginning, meaning that this genetic disorder did not come from Elizabeth and her husband's genes. It was a mutation that sprang up in Louis out of nothing, it would seem. Now, when Louis was just five, Elizabeth was finally hitting her stride as a special needs mom. And also, out of nowhere, so it seems, another difficulty was added literally overnight. One night at midnight, Louis had a seizure, and then he had another, and another, and another, all in the space of just a few hours. And since then, Louis suffers from dozens, sometimes even 40 or 50 seizures daily, until doctors suggested the keto diet, which has given Louis some relief, uh, at least temporarily. And as you can guess, we talk about this at length. The amazing thing about Elizabeth is that with all of this talk about de novo and out of nowhere and out of nothing, there's nothing that Elizabeth believes about that. Instead, she believes quite strongly, as you'll hear, that God actually chose her for this and gave her everything that she needed, from her Puerto Rican heritage, the words of her wise abuela, strong family support from both sides of her family, Puerto Rican and German, and the faith to do everything she can to make life better for not only Louis, but also many others like him. She has started a nonprofit called Louis Huey, with the goal of connecting, serving, and supporting other families like hers, and of course, raising money to fund research into ways to improve quality of life for kids like Louis. One tiny note as you listen to this episode, you are going to hear Elizabeth refer to a woman named Melissa throughout. And the reason she just tosses that name out de novo <laughs> without any explanation is because Melissa is my sister-in-law and Elizabeth's best friend. And she set up this interview. With that said, welcome, Elizabeth. Um, so, so excited for you guys to hear her story. I kind of decided it would makes sense to start with your backstory because yeah. you are an incredibly strong person. Well, thank you. And um, I don't think that just, I mean, I think some people get presented with their circumstances and they have to be strong, but I feel like your strength comes from farther back. Yeah, no, I mean, my family um, was, <laughs> I mean, anybody, yeah, again, who follows on Instagram or Facebook, they, they see my parents in almost every photo, my grandparents, right. my aunts, my uncles. So, right. and I think it comes to a lot of like the Hispanic side, but in addition, my mom, who um, is German um, mm. and Amer like 100% American, you yeah, know, and yeah. so she uh, came from a very hardworking mm -hmm. family as yeah. well. Like my grandmother had her in her forties, but my still, my mom always remembers her having a job. So, wow. I mean, and also they, so my mom's mom and my dad's mom were actually yeah. very similar. You know, my, my abuela is, uh -huh. was a maid, um, you know, gr while my dad was growing up and my mom's mom was also a maid in a hotel. Wow. And so they both, you know, even though they were so different, my grandma probably didn't even speak English that well mm -hmm. when first coming to the United States, um, stateside, mm -hmm. she, 
you know, got right to work and was like, okay, let's, wow. let's live this American dream dream. Let's, you know, let's wow. get straight to work. So my grandma and my mom's side was the same way. So my mom and my dad were actually very similar when it came to wow. work ethic because of, they were brought up the same way, despite, you know, geographically being different. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. It feeds into, you know, basically making, making this little, <laughs> this little picture right here sitting in front of you. <laughs> You know, even though, like, my dad, mm. his first language was Spanish, like, he was still very much raised with a strict background, like, mm-hmm. saying, you know, you yeah. go to school, you do your work, you come home, you do a little mm-hmm. more work, and, you mm-hmm. know, you got chores to do. And mm-hmm. I feel like it kind of, you know, mm-hmm. has kids that end up being raised the same way. Yeah. And I think it's just, I mean, I think it's a good point to make because um, people with such different, um, like you said, geographical, linguistic, mm-hmm. like, um, backgrounds, different identities, really, yeah. in a lot of ways, were raised really similarly. Um, and I think that's just like a good thing to point out, because I think we've almost sometimes gotten to the point in our society where we think that we can't even have anything in common, or that we oh, yeah. can't even be coming from the same place if we didn't literally come from the same place. Right. I mean, sometimes it, you forget because you think of someone as coming from the other side of the world. Like, but no, right. I mean, you know, if you have really loving parents, then yeah. they're going to be looking out for you and making sure that you know yeah. right from wrong and, you know, yeah. tra- raising you right, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So de- since we've definitely established the fact that like this, this strength came <laughs> earlier on. <laughs> the family. Yeah. 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 Let's start with the Puerto Rican side. So yeah. let's just jump right in with sure. your, with your recipe. So, um, describe, give us the name of it and describe it first. Sure. So it's okay. Pollo Frito. Um, my grandmother, my abuela, she made it, mm. makes it every time we come down there. So every time wow. we go to Kissimmee, which we call the capital of Puerto Rico, Kissimmee, mm-hmm. Florida. <laughs> For those who have not been to Kissimmee, Florida, it's just a lot of Puerto Ricans all over the place. Really? Yeah. I've we, never heard this before. My sister and I used to joke about going to the Jesus supermarket. Yeah. It was actually the Jesus <laughs> supermarket, but it, us, you know, being yeah. raised in Virginia, we're like, right. oh, like the Jesus supermarket. And that's where we get our adobo and the pollo and like everything. Thing that okay. we need for okay. the for the chicken basically but yeah it's just fried chicken I literally, mean, literally translated like pollo is chicken and uh-huh. then frito is fried so and the flavor mostly comes from this adobo seasoning the adobo ev- everybody knows adobo okay now what is adobo seasoning exactly what's what's in it yeah so adobo is a it's so as my husband likes to say it's salt <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> it's just very salty seasoning yeah. in fact we had friends who were mexican when we lived in baltimore and they always, you know, joked us about, oh, well, you know, that's spicy Puerto Rican. We're like, no, that's you guys. Like, we like the salty food. Oh, Whereas I think the Mexican okay. side is more the jalapenos. And now, okay. don't get me wrong. A lot of Puerto Ricans like yeah. spicy food as well. Mm-hmm. However, it's mostly salty. I do love salt. I I can put salt on everything. In fact, my mom thought I had a condition growing up because I would, <laughs> well, I keep passing out. And they couldn't figure out why I would always pass out. You had low blood pressure. Yes. And you needed salt. Yes. There and the doctor go. said, like, well, you're limiting her salt intake. Give her more salt. And if she still needs more salt, we'll give her a sodium pill and yeah. put her on that. And my mom's like, well, do I just take her to McDonald's? Said, yeah, just take her to McDonald's and get her some French fries <laughs> and put more salt on those French fries. Really? And I stopped passing out. That's amazing. And yeah, I think genetically, because of that Puerto Rican blood, you know, I was just used, yeah. genetically speaking, used to a more saltier diet. And, you know, my mom's German, yeah. probably not as salty. And when she was giving me more her food, she had almost adapt for, yeah. you know, me yes. having that gene lines. And so, yeah, we started adding salt and it was much better. It's true that our bodies, we, we oftentimes know what we need. 
Yeah. And I read a book too, right when Louie was starting uh-huh. the keto diet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I read a book about basically, you know, your genes and how you should eat and diet according to what your ancestors did basically. And that's going to be the healthiest diet for you mm-hmm. because there's stories about people doing like random fad diets and all of a sudden mm-hmm. they'd have like liver failure, you know, crazy things would start happening yes. to them. And it's because their genetics weren't prone to that specific yes. diet. And so yes. their body didn't know how to react. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our bodies are remarkably adaptable and part of that is like generational or evolutionary, depending what you mm-hmm. want to call it. And then part of it is even, I think, within our own lives, we really can start to, first, our palates to mm-hmm. begin with. Jack even came from um, like a retreat and he was like, I ate really bad food all weekend. And he said, I honestly think that my palate changed in 48 hours. All I want is junk food, you know? Wow. But also when you do, when you see people cut stuff out or add things in, then they all of a sudden begin to be able to be able to handle things. Yeah. Well, that's why when Louis started doing the keto study at Hopkins, Johns Hopkins here in Baltimore, they had to monitor him for 24 hours just to make sure his body didn't have any crazy reactions to the, you know, the fasting and then the new diet they were putting him on. Oh, wow. So it's, yeah, it's very, it's very much a thing, the keto diet there. And wow. Even with the, the chicken, I made, so I made a keto version Uh and so I cooked it, um, Uh you know, just without skin. I tried to make it a little healthier for him and and a lot of oil and because mm-hmm. basically if you don't eat enough oil, we have to give him a, a G2 bolus of oil at the end of the day, really? which makes up because it's a four to one ratio. And so he needs so much fat to go with the carbs he eats. And so it's, he has things like chicken or um, things that could have carbs in there. Yeah. We'll have to give him oil to compensate for the carbs. And so that'll go through a hole in his stomach, the, yeah. the G2 hole. And we just give him a a good little bolus of oil every night to make That's to make up for amazing. any carbs. It's very scientific. Yeah. Wow. More so than I anticipated. It's a lot of math. It's a you lot didn't of math. I expect to do this much math. As I, I, I I can't do it on the spot, so I'm just warning you. I was an English major. I like do not ask me like the ratios or anything for certain diet. Like I, I have a whole pamphlet at home and binder wow. full of stuff. Wow. But yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, that's, that's a thing. That is. That is. So back to the chicken. Yeah, sorry. No, don't be sorry. <laughs> don't be sorry. <laughs> so um, your abuela made this. Yes. Okay. So every time we go down there, it's it's a thing for all of us, whether it be me, mm-hmm. my dad, my aunt and uncle, mm-hmm. whoever goes down, she always knows that if someone's visiting, she has to make it because that's our number one. So tell me about your abuela. Yeah. So she was actually born and raised in Spain. He hung. Oh. Okay. And that's in Asturias. Oh, uh-huh. And uh, she met my grandpa, who's Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually said that he saw her at a bar and told his buddy, like, that's the one I'm going to marry right there. And she was like, no. <laughs> he convinced her. They ended up getting married. Yeah. And moved to Puerto Rico. And moved actually first to Panama. Had my uncle, well, he, he had my dad on base in Germany. I don't okay. remember where my aunt was born. And then they flew to Panama. Had my dad in Panama. Wow. No, I'm sorry, my uncle in Panama. Mm. And then they flew to Puerto Rico and they were all kind of raised for the first 10 or so years of their life in Puerto Rico. Okay. So yeah, my dad didn't learn English until he came to South Carolina when he was like 10-ish. Okay. So when they moved, they didn't move to this place. Where, what is it in Florida? That you oh, Kissimmee. Kissimmee. <laughs> they didn't move to Kissimmee. They moved to South Carolina. No, yeah. So they moved to South Carolina and I, being army, I think they've bounced around probably more than I know of. I was going to say, why did they choose to leave Puerto Rico and come to the mainland? But they really didn't. The army was just moving them around. Yeah. I mean, the army was moving them around. And also okay. a lot of people in Puerto Rico try and move to either New York or Florida. Okay. Um, like my grandpa told me once, like, he, re- he doesn't really remember anybody that stayed in Puerto Rico. Most of them tr- moved 
to this side. Really? Yeah. And why was that? It's just more economic opportunities. Yeah. I mean, more opportunities, I'm sure. I mean, we never really got into a conversation too big about it, but, um, yeah. I don't know if you've ever been to Puerto Rico. I have. Okay. So have you yeah. been outside of San Juan? Yes. Okay. So like yeah. my family grew up in Caguas. We went there once with my grandpa and mm. I, we really wanted to learn like, you know, where he came from. Cause mm-hmm. we knew they, both my grandparents came from humble beginnings. Let's mm. just put it that way. Yeah. It was a destitute area yeah. basically. And so, okay. um, so was the army sort of his path out or do you think he I think so. He he enjoyed the art. Well, I don't know, enjoy. He is proud of what he did for the United States, mm-hmm. you know, um mm-hmm. country. And mm-hmm. so I think he was my whole family there, they've been in the military. My dad, um my mm-hmm. uncle even for a brief time, um you know, my grandfather obviously. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. He wears his Vietnam hat mm. almost every time we go outside. Like, he's just very mm. proud of mm. his service. Mm. And um, I think that was a big reason, too, because people, mm. I think they recognize that more in the in the continental U.S., especially, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the service people do for our country and stuff. So mm-hmm. they're more recognizant. Yeah. They recognize it more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They appreciate it. They do. Yeah. Yes. Now, did he serve in Vietnam? Yes. Wow. Yeah. So he did. Did he, he ever talk about what that was like coming back? He didn't. Um, he he doesn't talk much about it. He does have a painting mm. of him being in Vietnam. I, I don't know if he had a commissioned or what, mm. but um, it's basically an action shot, if you will, of him running with his gun, you know, wow. through um, a forest. But I've, I've definitely always looked at that photo, and it made me also wonder. Like, it makes you think about war, too, like having yeah. that visual that you pass yes. by when you're eating pollo frito. Right, like, <laughs> right. It's not just an idea. It's not. Yeah. yeah. No. And I mean, it's, I think he liked to, cause he, mm. they both speak Spanish fluently. It was their mm-hmm. first language. There is an accent. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes him proud too, to be like, you know what? I am an American. Mm. I fought for this country. You know, what mm-hmm. did you do basically? Like whenever mm-hmm. someone would get on him, like, you know, about hearing his accent, he would mm-hmm. say like, listen, I proved myself. Like mm. my, my worth is evident, you know? Mm. And so I think he, he appreciates that. And I think he's proud of that. Yeah. Yeah. So th- I was going to ask about that. I mean, obviously it's a very, this whole idea of a territory, I don't even. Yeah. I mean, what do you, what do you I didn't even, think about? I saw the question. I was like, I don't even know how to respond to that. Like, cause we, I mean, so my grandmother actually put it perfectly. We were yeah. talking about, mm. I forget what was going on in Spain a few years back, but there was something in the news and my dad and I were talking to her over Pollo Frito. Mm-hmm. And I love, this is one of my favorite quotes of hers too, because I was like, Grammy, well, that's your kind like, you were raised there. You were mm. born and raised in Spain. Like, mm-hmm. you know, don't, don't you feel a certain way? Like, don't you have an opinion? Mm-hmm. Don't you, mm-hmm. don't you care? And she was like, Elizabeth, my people are the American people. She was like, I owe them everything. My kids, my life, everything I know now is for the American people. And she was like, I don't care. <laughs> she, was wow. like, she was like, you know, I, I love my country and mm. I, I hope them all the best. She was like, but my people are the American people. Mm. I'm an American. Well, I feel like with her, there would almost be three options. She could be Spanish. Mm-hmm. She could be Puerto Rican mm-hmm. or she could be American because unfortunately, for whatever reason, Puerto Rican and American has not been synonymous. Yeah. Well, I think really. that's mostly by, I mean, my, sorry, I keep hitting that. That's okay. <laughs> my attitude mostly, or my perception is that yeah. it's mostly being held by either the younger Puerto Ricans that they're not American mm. or, um, by, you know, the white people. Cause I right. mean, 
my dad always raised me like, we're Puerto Rican, but we're 100% American. Mm -hmm. You know, we're American first. Mm -hmm. And Puerto Rican is just American. In fact, I was talking actually to my aunt about this recipe because mm -hmm. I have been trying to get this recipe from my grandmother for the <laughs> longest time. Does she know it's being shared across the internet? Well, yes. Okay and so, right. So we told her, we're like, don't you want to share? Like, don't you want everyone to enjoy this? you know, recipe, because uh -huh. we've always been trying to get this recipe. Uh -huh. And my aunt was like, all right, I'm going to get this recipe for your grandmother. Like, I, I'm going to actually figure it out. Like, I'm going to tell her, okay, yeah. would you use this much or would you use this much? And because, you uh, know, sometimes right, there's right, a language right. barrier. Yeah, nobody and, uses. Oh, and yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, and every time I try it, she'd be like, un poquito. I'm like, but what is a poquito? <laughs> like, like, you, is it a poquito like this or is it a poquito like this? Like, what is a poquito? Right. <laughs> and so, anyway. But, you and every guest I've ever had on the podcast. I mean, it's true. Yeah. Like, so we were trying to just figure it out going through yeah. this and so my aunt was I forget where I was going with this but yeah my my aunt said something to the oh I was like yeah it's you know uh, it's Puerto Rican it's not American or something we we're yeah. arguing and she goes Puerto Rico is America you dummy <laughs> I was like this is true <laughs> so even I slip into that sometimes because like you know especially the older Puerto Ricans they're like no we're American we're American yeah. first and then we're whatever else you want to call us but did they feel did your dad and mm -hmm. your grandfather feel that they were not accepted like I even think of oh, you know no. the West Side Story oh this I is... had to watch it by my mom my mom made me watch it she's okay. not even Puerto Rican <laughs> she was like you need to watch this in love it. <laughs> well, I mean, it was obviously a thing that oh, Puerto yeah. Ricans were not treated like they were yeah. full Americans. And I mean, honestly, I felt like I was almost treated better because I was mm. a Puerto Rican though growing up. And I mean, my dad has his own story. I'm sure my grandfather could tell you his mm -hmm. own story. And so this mm -hmm. is very much just my story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I mean, growing up, being Puerto Rican was awesome. I mean, mm. my last name was Sanchez. I mean, it was technically Sanchez Perez, but my dad dropped the Perez. Oh, okay. Uh, because he felt like the military kept messing it up. Okay. And they, the government. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, they just couldn't get it straight. Yeah. <laughs> but you felt like it was advantageous to have the last name Sanchez. Oh, I, I still, like, I could, I joke Craig all the time, like, if I had the last name Sanchez, this wouldn't be happening right now. <laughs> because, like, I get so much more love from being a minority than I do from being a white girl, basically. From everybody. From everybody. <laughs> Um, so do you think that being Puerto Rican has um, prepared you specifically for um, the challenges of raising Louis? I think I could have been any color. And yeah. I think I yeah. would have been equally as blindsided, honestly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, there's yeah. people say that to me actually all the time where they're like, you know, you, yeah. you're so brave. You're so brave. I'm like, you would have done the same thing if it happened to you. You know, I mean... Yeah. Like there was actually, I had a friend who, um, asked me once, like, do you ever get offended when people are saying, well, God made you just for this? And I said, absolutely not. Like, I, well, I didn't say this. I actually thought about it for a while. And then I thought to myself, no, that's what gets me through this. Mm. Like God gave me this child. Like he, he looked at me and said, you know, this woman can handle it. I'm going to give her this kid. And she is going to glorify me and she's going to do great things for him. And mm. I told myself I would not cry, <laughs> mm. <laughs> but I, I mean, I do. I think that, you know, like it, I think God makes certain people strong at certain times of their mm. life for certain situations. And I think that was me mm. like for this moment of my life mm. for him. And whatever genetic German, Puerto Rican, Spanish makeup that <laughs> made you needed him. to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so tell us about Louis. Yeah. Um, he's amazing. Mm -hmm. He is nine years old. He's going to be 10 this year. Mm -hmm. um, he So when I was pregnant, I thought I was going to give birth to a perfectly fine little baby boy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, normal pregnancy until the anatomy ultrasound. And then I go in and... 
they say, you know, we're actually going to have you talk to the doctor for a minute, you know, mm-hmm. no big deal. I'm like, oh, okay, she's coming in. They're like, no, 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 let's take you into this room. Oh, and wow. immediately, like, you just, just cold This was around terror. 17 weeks. <sighs> it was actually a little after because I was really bad. <laughs> I didn't go I in. You. I was a teacher yeah. at the time. I didn't go in exactly when I should have okay. probably. Um, but yeah, so I, I went in um, to the little room with my mm-hmm. husband, Craig, and we were sitting there. And she just said, well, we can talk about options. And Before even telling you. Right. And I was like, well, options for what? She's like, well, your son, he has some shorter features, like he has shorter arms, shorter legs. He has um, a, a kidney that uh, looks like it's got a lot of fluid in there. And honestly, everything after that kind of went black for me. And I just said, so what are you saying? And she's mm-hmm. like, well, we were thinking maybe Down syndrome. And she's like, but we, we can have options. I'm like, no, we're not, we're not going to talk options. We're not going to, we're not going to go into that. We're, I mean, at first we're going to go home. I'm, we're going to talk, mm-hmm. me and my husband. And we'll, we'll, you know, let's, let's just digest this information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just remember getting into the car and just crying and sobbing and crying some more. And then my friends came to me. They're like, oh, don't listen to them. Like they said that to everybody. They're always erring on the side of caution. Don't worry. And, all of them said this. All of them was like, oh, my kid had short limbs, short stature, everything. Like, don't worry about it. Zero percentile. It's ultrasound. They don't know any better. And so I said, okay, like, you know, that's true. And it's actually a Puerto Rican friend who told me that too. She's like, don't worry about it. And so I said, oh, all right, you're right. You're right. Like, they're, they're supposed to err on the side of caution. So okay. I'm going to, well, we're just going to continue this and do the genetic testing that they okay. recommended. So we did. Okay. And the genetic testing came back normal. And so after that, I was like, oh, my friends are absolutely correct. These doctors don't know what they're talking about. Like, great. Really? Your mind was completely at ease. I was like, science, right? Like, science, follow the science. Like, never. I, like, yeah. yeah, like, science I, is never mistaken. It's I know. It's correct for 2,000 years. I know. I was like, no, they, it's a doctor, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, I was like, no, the doctors say it's fine now. Like, the genetic, genetic test came back normal. Like, we're mm. good. And so, I mean, I've been asked, I'm like, what is the chance, though, that we could have a child with a disability? And like, oh, go play the lottery. Like, one out of a thousand. Like, you're fine. Like, your your genes, you're perfect. You're young. You're 23 or 24 at that time. When I was pregnant, I was like, all right, so I'm good. And looking back, do you think that time was a gift to just be at total peace? Absolutely, 100%. Yes, I needed that time. The way I reacted, I'm ashamed of. And I also think if that would have carried on the rest of the pregnancy, like, you know, what devastating thing could I have done? Like, you know, it's just, it's just a dark place I don't like to go to. And I think Mm -hmm. that was God giving me a little grace before the storm, you know, a little bit Mm -hmm. of calmness and an ability to kind of enjoy the pregnancy because all my friends Mm -hmm. were pregnant at that time. So Mm -hmm. I was watching them have their happy little pregnancies Mm -hmm. giving, and all them gave birth before me. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted to be in the club. Like all my Mm -hmm. friends were having babies. I wanted to have babies too. And you know, I wanted to live my best life. Like Craig and I, we did everything right on paper, right? Like Mm -hmm. I graduated from college. He graduated from college. We got the house and the dog mm-hmm. with the fence. We had the mm-hmm. house and the fence and everything. And we had a little <laughs> nest egg saved and we were ready. Like I worked my butt off during college to have mm-hmm. like everything set, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, they called me busy bee when I was <laughs> working at Barnes and Noble at the time, because I would go from, you know, substituting to Barnes and Noble to waitressing at night. And wow, we saved up so much money and we were just wow. ready for anything. And we just felt like, yes. And then We went in for that ultrasound and it all just came crashing down on me because I think I just was not ready for that shock at all. So, yeah, so we, we got a few months of, you know, calm and then 
I gave birth and it's just started all back up again. <laughs> so as soon as you gave birth, was he breathing? How, what? So I gave birth and he started like, at first he didn't cry. And I remember, you know, when you give birth, you just kind of like, why isn't he crying? Like what's happening? Yeah. And he did start crying. So again, I, I breathed again, yeah. but I think in the back of my mind, I was always worried since the ultrasound. You and had just pushed it away. I, it was in the back somewhere that I just yeah. didn't want to get out. Yeah. You know, I just yeah. kind of, you know, put some sweaters yeah. over and pretend like it wasn't there, you know? Yeah. And then when, um, mm. when the doctor came back in after I had given birth and after they cleaned him up and everything and they were like, so there's a few things we need to talk about. And it just came all back to me. And he, they, they were like, you know, he's not moving his arms and legs. He's you know, got a high palate. His ears are too low. His eyes are too, um, Asian looking. Yeah. Um, and I said, well, my husband's Japanese. Could that be it? And they're like, oh, maybe, you know, they're like, and you did the genetic test. I'm like, we did the genetic test. He's fine. Like there's nothing else to do. And they said, oh, well, you know, let's give it a couple of days, see what happens. Well, he stopped breathing in there and they had to clean out his lungs. And anyway, it was, it was a whole ordeal. And, they kept telling me like, no, something's wrong. We don't know what, but something's wrong then. And so we started doing more genetic testing on him specifically. This like, was all within a few months or this is this years is down the road. Within the first month, test. I would within say. Within the first month. Within the first month. They did a lot of genetic testing. Jeez. And it, you're trying to like, I, I mean, like the postpartum is different. <laughs> yeah. And they haven't given birth and taken a child home, especially the first. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hurt. Yeah. A, a lot. lot of blood. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, and it was it was sad for me too because I saw my fr- my mom friends go through it and like loving life, and then here I am at 24, I think at that point, and having this little baby who can't move his arms and legs, can't lift his head, turn it, nothing, and having all these eye problems. And so, I mean, as the months kind of grew, like more things started piling up, and they kept pushing for more genetic testing, more genetic testing, and finally, there's nothing else. At the time, we were at CHKD, yeah, CHKD, and they couldn't do anything else with the technology they had at that point 10 years ago because the whole exome sequencing hadn't come out yet. And so they did the genetic testing for, like, specific things like um, Down syndrome, and I think they looked for Turner's and, yeah, like, the, the more common ones. Um, but, yeah, because he didn't have any of those, it all came up as fine. And so we just kind of were like, okay, well, maybe it's the doctors that don't know what they're talking about. Well, and then my aunt one day was like, he has lippy white boy syndrome. It's a thing. I Googled it. (laughs) And they were like, he's taking after Craig's side. (laughs) And then finally, CHKD was like, you know what? He's, He's got something. We don't know what it is. Just love him for who he is and just try and get the best out of this life. And we were like, you know what? Sounds good. But it, it just ate at me and ate at me and ate at me. I was like, there's something going on here. Like, he's so far behind. Like, I, he had glasses at six months old, you know, like little baby glasses. And I was like, no, this isn't – there's got to be more we can do for this kid. So at the time, my husband um, was working for his construction company, and they said, you know, you can go to Baltimore. Johns Hopkins seems to be pretty good. Would you like us to transfer you up there? And Craig said, okay, sounds great. And I was losing my mind with worry and depression like probably depression at that point. And I was just having a hard time just trying to relax. I'm like, yeah, let's do something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at least then we can say, okay, we did everything that was presented right. to us. Um, which again, like looking back, it was totally a God thing, you know, because he literally put everything in our path that we needed. Mm-hmm. But um, we, we went up to Hopkins and within a year, Hopkins had the whole XM sequencing, which CHKD, CHKD did not have at that time. And they were able to do that test. 
And they said, um, yeah, he has a genetic variation of HUWE1. Uh, and they're like, that's the, the protein that it's mutated. Um, and I said, oh, what? Yeah. So what is that? Great. And they're like, we don't know, <laughs> but he has it. <laughs> and at the time, I think it was like one out of less than a dozen people in the world had it documented. Louis was one of the first people. And so, I mean, I looked on Facebook, I looked Google, like nothing. There was nothing anywhere about it. And so we're just like, okay, well, at least we know. At least we know now it's genetic variation. And I think my family can attest to this too. I think I calmed down a lot more after that year and a half, two year period when we actually had a diagnosis and I knew like it wasn't something I ate during pregnancy. It wasn't something, it wasn't the Tylenol I took, you know, it, it wasn't the bike ride I took. And so we're kind of, I mean, you don't know what else to do at that point. Like what else could it have, what else could have caused it if it's, you know, like not coming up on genetic tests, like it had to have been something I did. And so, yeah, having that test really helped me like ease my guilt in a very selfish way but it also gave us a little bit of peace knowing okay at least we know now that hopefully more will be coming up because the testing was pretty new so yeah and then we just kind of had to wait and then all of a sudden a few years later it just kind of exploded like now there's a new one being diagnosed you know constantly Hey there, listeners. I promise this will be a super short interruption and we will get right back to this interview. So it is most definitely fall now. And even though I really, really don't like to think about Christmas until after Thanksgiving, well, as a creator looking to support this podcast, I just have to take advantage of this season. And I know that you will understand and support that. So as you look ahead for Christmas, even if it's just in the back of your mind, I would love to remind you that there is a way you can buy super personalized, meaningful gifts for your friends and family, and also support the podcast. And the way you can do this is by shopping at the storied recipe print shop. There you will find beautiful prints that you can feature in kitchens, dining rooms, little reading nooks, and every image in that shop celebrates extraordinary light and the good, good gift of food. Also, even more importantly, every image in the storied recipe print shop literally tells a story, the story of one of my guests. So, when you give one of these prints or when you hang one in your own home, you will be helping realize my vision for this podcast. You'll be helping anyone who views that image to become more grateful for the beauty of our food and to honor those that loved us through their cooking. So you can shop the print shop simply by going to the storiedrecipe.com and clicking on print shop on the top menu. Okay, that is it. Thank you for your patience. And now we are heading right back to the interview. So at this point, where is Louis developmentally um, compared, you know, compared to his age? And then what are his main symptoms? Right. So, so developmentally, he is cognitively the age of a one year old, depending on what test. Um, And then he has autism. He has seizures. He has uh, hypotonia. He has a G tube so we can feed him. Um, yeah, he has, he has a gambit of, mm. of different things, mm. but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think the hardest one for me to digest mm-hmm. was the seizures and mm-hmm. the, probably the cognitive aspect too. Cause you know, he's playing with baby toys when he's mm. going to be 10 years old. Mm-hmm. So, um, and circles, he loves circles, mm. love circles. And I think that's more the autism, but, um, yeah. Like and, to 
drop it to no he so this this microphone right now he would come up to this and be like moving this all like trying to make a shadow with it like um a set, uh, stimming on it i just really? he loves circles and it's always in fact at church he'll walk up walk up to people and like grab their belts because you know like the belt loop on it kind of looks like half a circle and he'll like take try and take people's belts off of them and people really? people that don't know him are like what is he doing why is he touching me and i have to explain like he loves circles it's not you like he this just is amazing because I, I mean i have four children i've never noticed something like this yeah i'm gonna have to this is amazing because I have four children. I've never noticed my kids loving circles, but I almost wonder if it's a phase that children go through so quickly, you wouldn't necessarily notice something about it. Yeah, I mean, so his autism clinic, the one we went to here in uh, Maryland, they're called Verbal Beginnings, and we love them. But um, his his one therapist said, when she was talking to her girlfriend, she was like, yeah, I was talking to her. I was like, you need to find a man that loves you and looks at you the way Louis looks at circles. <laughs> because Louis looks at circles with love, pure, unadulterated. <laughs> Desire. <laughs> He loves circles. Um, but yeah, so that's, great. That's, that's the autism problem. Yeah. And then um, tell me about the seizures. So, uh, yeah. Um, How old was he when they started? So he first had his, he had his first grand mal seizure at age five. And we didn't know, I'd never seen a seizure before that. So he, it was at night, we were kind of half asleep and he starts breathing weird through the monitor we can hear him and so I go in and check on him he looks fine and then I pick him up and I don't think he's breathing and so I just start screaming Craig runs in he's like what's happening and I say I, I think Louie died I don't know what's going on and so you know my husband picks him up and he's like no he's fine he's fine like it was a nightmare go back to bed and I was like oh okay like that was a real realistic nightmare but mm. all right so we you know we put him back in bed he's like you know kind of awake at this point so he's, he lays back down goes to sleep it happens again and so, like, we pull him into the room. We're like, oh, my gosh, like, this, we don't know what just happened. Something just happened. And, again, this is, like, 3 o'clock in the morning at this point. Oh, and so Craig said, let's call 911. Just make sure everything's okay. So the ambulance comes. Like, he's totally up and acting normal at this point. And we're like, well, I don't know. Maybe, we, maybe we're both having a bad dream. Like, okay, like, whatever. Let's just go back to bed one more time. And the ambulance, you know, the guys are like, oh, yeah, he's, he's totally fine. His levels are all normal. Like, you know, just, just go back to bed. They're like, have you ever seen a seizure before? And we're like, well, no, but we've seen it on movies. Like, we, yeah. we, we know somewhat. And he's, you know, they were like, no, 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 just don't worry about it. So I said, okay, so, you know, we kind of go back to bed. It happens again. So at that point, Craig and I are like, no, we're, we're done playing with this. Like, let's go to the hospital. So we go to the hospital and the doctor there, that was the ER doctor, was say, saying the same thing. He said, you know, I, I don't think this is a seizure. He's not, he doesn't have a fever. He didn't hit his head or anything. Like, there's no reason why he should be having seizures. And he's five years old. He's not like a little baby. Like, he's fine. Just go home. And I was I just started yelling at him at this point. I'm like, no, there is something happening to my child. Like, figure something and do something. And he said, no, he's fine. So they're trying to discharge us. Craig and I are in there arguing at the point because at that time because we were, you know, trying to just figure out what to do, how to convey this. And he starts going into another one. And I scream, I just start screaming and I'm yelling and I'm yelling at people to get in there and I need someone to look at this because apparently right. it's not a seizure. So yeah, right. <laughs> I need someone to tell me what it is then. Right. And so the doctor comes running in. I think half the hospital probably came into that itty bitty little room and he goes, oh yeah, no, that was a seizure. We're going to give him some diastat. And I was like, I told you guys. So it was just great because like, the ambulance, the doctor, like they're all saying, no, 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 it's, he's fine. And that was his first episodes of grand mal seizures. 
So he literally went from zero seizures a day to just essentially constant seizures. Yes. So he had nothing. He had no seizure. In fact, we actually had seen our geneticist who we love and trust 100%. And she was like, well, maybe you avoided that part of the genetic variant because a lot of the kids that have his variant have seizures. And he was five at the time. And she was like, well, there's no really record of them starting so late. So maybe you guys just dodged a bullet there. Like he's so Louis de Novo, which means uh, literally from the Latin um, of nothing. And that means that I don't have the mutation and Craig doesn't have the mutation. It's just sporadically happened. There's no rhyme or reason to it. There's no, yeah, there's no reason why he should have this genetic mutation. It just, it was God saying, you know what? I'm going to make this kid extra special. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) So, yeah. So now how many seizures does he have a day? And I have... I have so many questions about that. So I'm going to just, I'm going to rattle them off. I and do too. Yeah. Yeah. You do too. Yeah. So since we're sharing a mic and also because I want you to have the floor, I'm going to just kind of rattle them off and mm-hmm. take them. So what does that mean for you on a day to day and honestly a night to night basis? Yeah. And what does this do f- for his life? Um, and what is, I mean, what does this do for his ultimate prognosis as well? Yeah. Um, okay. So remind me if I miss yeah. any, but, um, so day to day it's us. And I mean, I keep telling myself I'm not alone in this. There's other moms that are going through this exactly like I am that have the same genetic variant, but, uh, our days look like a lot of us following him around, literally following him around in case he has a seizure and falls over. Um, we do have helmets for him. And so like a lot of kids have like cool shirts they wear, you know, we have a helmet for every different day of the week. (laughs) So he'll have like a hockey helmet today. And like, he has this like sumo wrestling looking helmet on some days. And like he has, you know, um, a bicycle helmet. We like Mm -hmm. the bicycle helmets because they can be cool. Like Mm -hmm. we have Spider-Man, we have Superman, Mm -hmm. like, um, so yeah, so he wears his helmet every day, regardless. Um, we have an attendant, which the wonderful taxpayers of Virginia gave mm-hmm. us. Um, so our attendant right now is Maggie and she comes over and basically just follows him around all day. So as he has seizures, she catches him. Um, and that's been incredibly helpful uh, having her. Are they all grand mal seizures at this point or does he have no. seizures? No. So the keto, actually, since he started keto, he has not had a grand mal seizure. Yeah. So keto has been really awesome for the grand mal seizures. It really improved his brain function in that capacity. Uh, he does have the drop seizures and I would have to talk to our, um, neurologist who does the keto study at Hopkins, but I'm pretty sure I remember him saying in his book that the seizures that are affected by the keto diet are mostly the grand mal seizures. They tend to disappear, but the drop seizures are a little harder to get rid of with the diet. Um, so a drop seizure is a seizure where he will be walking and then all of a sudden just falls over. So it, sometimes it looks like he was hit by a, like a bolt of lightning is what we call a lightning bolt seizure. Cause like his body might jerk in one way and then he'll just collapse. Um, and sometimes like today, for example, I was taking him to the bathroom cause he's not toilet trained yet, but he's, he's almost there. And so I was taking him to the bathroom. I put him on the potty. And then I get him up and then he lunges just straight like forward and to the right a little. And his head went straight into the door jam. And I was like, oh, you know, like first thing in the morning. And it was just so frustrating. So, I mean, that's what a typical day looks like, though. It's us just trying to avoid those little things. And at first you're like, okay, you just have to follow him around. It's like, yeah, but I follow him around while I have three other kids, while I'm trying to make dinner, you know, while I try and do laundry, like while I have other things, while I'm trying to run this nonprofit. So it's. 
it's it's a lot of just trying to make sure he's you know not getting any new seizures too because sometimes the seizures will pop out of nowhere like when he was first diagnosed with the atonic seizures or the drop seizures he um we just thought he was clumsy he kept falling and we're like oh well you know walking's kind of new for him he didn't learn how to walk until he was three or four like maybe it's him just kind of getting his footing again or growth spurt or something. Like, that's one of the things you normally hear, right? Like, oh, it's a growth spurt. Like, everything can be attributed to a growth spurt. <laughs> but um, for him, we took him to the neurologist, and she was like, sounds like he's having more seizures. And I'm like, no, he hasn't had a grand mal in, at that point in a couple months. Like, it's he's fine on the seizures. And so they take him into Hopkins. They do the e- EKG. Yeah. yeah. Or no, and EEG. EEG. Yeah. And um, they... We're like, yeah, he's having like 50 to 60 seizures a day while he's been here. And I had no idea. And apparently they were just recording them with the machine and they were able to tell us how many he was having. And I had, I I didn't even know that a seizure could look like that. I had only seen the grand mal seizures. Yeah. It's almost like his brain is in a constant seizure state. Mm -hmm. How does this affect Louis's life? Do you have a sense? Like, obviously he can't tell you about it. Yeah. So that's, that's the hardest part too. It's him not being able to tell us cause he's nonverbal. So like sometimes he'll start crying and we're like, we just feel so helpless. Like what, what do you want? Like what, what can we do? And like this little, like as one of his therapists say, like when they were trying to teach him how to eat cause he's G2 fed. And so they were trying to teach him how to eat and teach him like, you know, how to swallow and everything. And they would actually have to hold his mouth closed or he'd spit the food at them like aggressively. So knew what he thought <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We knew then, but I mean, yeah, like he said, there's just this one tear that like fell down his Aww. cheek as they were trying to feed him. And he was like, and that's when I seriously started questioning my profession. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Cause it is, it's heartbreaking. Cause you see him falling over, you see him having the seizures, you see him mm-hmm. go through all these hurdles, like even with kids. And like, so I didn't anticipate they would be this hard, mm-hmm. but seeing him, want to be with people mm. so like he he knows like when things are happening like when there's people over and like you can tell he wants to be with the people mm. but there's something going off in his brain the autism i think is affecting more he can't he can't be with the people so he wants to be with people but at the same time he can't be with the people and then he'll have a seizure and fall over and then mm. <laughs> then it's all different but i mean yeah so that's that's one of the hardest things too and i think as and i've heard this from a lot of special needs moms is when they go through the purge, like, and I am guilty of this 100%, but we go through the Facebook purge and we just have to get rid of all the people that look like they have the most perfect lives. Like they have not done anything to us. You know, we wish the best for them, but at the same time, we have to get that picture out because it's just so painful to look at that and think of what could have been for our child. And, you know, I mean, I think that's probably the hardest part on the daily basis for a while. I think I am much better now, especially since I'm 10 years in, but having a child with a disability in the very beginning, I was I was incredibly stressed because Facebook had just become a thing and everybody had it. And everybody was on it. Everybody was posting well, at that point multiple times a day, I think. Um, but yes, yeah, seeing the beautiful families of all my friends who had these perfect little babies and, you know, going through that purge, I think still to this day, that's probably one of the harder things, too, is not mm. being jealous of mm. that life. Yeah, this is a really good point. So we're going to talk towards the end about how, you know, we can support the foundation. Um, But I guess just on a more personal level, not necessarily if we wanted to help Louie, but I think, I mean, all of us, like, 
it, it's not that uncommon to have kids with special needs, although, of course, Louis Huey is extremely <laughs> uncommon. But, um, you, I mean, you have kept a lot of relationships with typical families. Like, mm-hmm. what? it's got to be something that's intangible. What's that thing that makes the difference between a family that is, um, like, you can, you can still be friends with them and the family that it seems to create a wedge, a barrier? Right. Like, how can we not be that family <laughs> that you just say, I just can't be around them? What do you think the difference is? I mean, so like we talked about Melissa, right? Yeah. I mean, she is, she's a perfect example because she's one of the, you know, the OGs, <laughs> she, you know, the original gangsters. <laughs> like she, I mean, I think she's a really good example of it because she knows almost like when to back off. Mm-hmm. I And I don't even know how she knows. I don't even think she knows how she knows. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, and she tries like if I need anything, it doesn't matter what it is. I think she would be like, I'm on my way. I, I'm coming. Like I live in Virginia right now. She lives in Maryland. And I can't tell you how many times she's already been over at my house, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's that. And I mean, we all lead really busy, chaotic lives. And I think it's just her always being there regardless and not being there simultaneously. And I don't even know, like there's no right or wrong answer. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even know how she knows. And I don't even know how I, I like, I have other friends, um, in, you know, my circle and they are one friend from, you know, 20 years ago, we met in high school. And I think it's just having grace on both sides. Like as a special needs mom, I think we are very quick and I, you know, I'm going to be hard on all my special needs moms right now. Like, you know, earmuffs, but maybe, but I think it's really hard for us to give grace sometimes. Cause we feel like we have to give grace already so much in our own family. And so when we see people outside of our family, that need grace, I think it's hard for us to do that for them. Um, And I think sometimes we do need to do that. Like for those friends, you know, I think when I see them and I wish I was them, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, you know what? I have to tell myself they're not doing anything to me. Mm -hmm. Like this is, this is me just wanting what they have. Mm -hmm. And honestly, when they treat me just like, you know, every other person and they, you know, welcome me and keep the relationship going on their half as well. I think that's all you can really ask for sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. I mean, it sounds like the key you said is just try. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Knowing that we'll do it very imperfectly. Yes. Mm -hmm. We make, we both make mistakes. Yeah. 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 Um, How about his siblings? You're a mom of, or a mom of four. How does all of this affect, um, your other kids so, uh, well tell us a little bit about them yeah yeah so it's really funny because I went to a conference uh by Virginia Tech and it was for autism but they had a whole segment just on siblings mm-hmm. and you know it was that siblings have much more empathy when they're of special needs you know siblings they have much more empathy than a regular sibling so they did a study where they would ask mm-hmm. different kids of different ages um what's your number one wish and they saw that with the siblings of kids with disabilities, they always ask for something for somebody else, whether it be for their wow. brother to walk, for their sister to use the bathroom, for wow. mommy to get a break, or, you know, like it was it was never for them. Like their wish was always for the other person in their family. And it's funny too, because I see Belle and I always feel so bad because like just yesterday she was like, mommy, Louie had a big seizure and I think it hurt. 
And I was like, well, how do you know it hurt? She's like, because he's crying. I'm like, it probably did hurt, you know? And so it's it's funny because I have to, like, think, like, okay, like, they're, she's already having to grow up so much faster mm-hmm. because of Louie. So I'm always mm-hmm. trying to, like, remember, like, to do things with her that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. she wouldn't necessarily get, like, just being in our house. Like, mm-hmm. I'll take her to someone's house and, like, have her bake cookies sometimes without Louie. And mm-hmm. I think as a special needs mom, it's okay to do things without that kid, too, you know, right. because I think it's only fair to our other kids to like let them enjoy some sort of normalcy and sometimes you can't get that in the house when your brother's having I think we're at now 17 seizures for today so you know I I think they need that too so I think again the grace the extending that to all areas in terms of the seizures because like we've been kind of focusing on that's the most Mm -hmm. severe symptom um to deal with what how do you handle that at night does he just seize in his bed and you assume he's safe or are you are you up dozens of times a night oh i have terrible insomnia (laughs) i mean craig comes in and i'll sometimes jump out of bed um because if i like i hear a door or like anything like i can actually wake up if i hear his breathing differ and i mean it's not just me so it's something if i feel like oh no i wouldn't no you will like if you had a kid like this and you are already so sensitive and on edge if you have a kid and everything's quiet and you hear something go from to then I mean it just automatically alarm bells go off you get up you run over you check and then usually he's fine internal alarm bells oh internal alarm bells yeah Yeah, no 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 so we did have a seizure monitor but it had too many false alarms Mm. and it was you know over the counter it wasn't medical like so our insurance wasn't covering anything Mm. our insurance never covers anything so (laughs) so um we we got him a few different things but there too many false alarms and I already I don't sleep well as it is and so I decided to get rid of that. And we actually have his bed very close to our bed in mm-hmm. our room. And we just listen. And I, for me, I sleep much better doing that mm-hmm. and having him close by than having him far, far away. Mm-hmm. And also we're training our other kids right now to be our seizure monitors, basically. Mm-hmm. And so Frankie, my um, second youngest boy, he can recognize a seizure. And we're and hoping... Three? He's three. Yeah, he'll wow. he'll sh- tell us if Louis has one. Um, so wow. yeah, and so they'll. We're hoping that soon they can start sleeping with him as well, give us a break. But mm. for right now, we actually had. I only wanted to have one child, mm. so I got pregnant with Louis, and I was like, "This is one and done." Like that was the mm. phrase. And then he showed symptoms, and then Craig and I started talking, and we realized, you know, what happens to Louis, like. Mm. You know, when we have never something happens to us, like, is he going to be alone? Will someone be able to change his diaper as a 30 year old? Like, mm-hmm. will someone be able to talk to him? Like, will people care? Because you hear about all these horror stories at, you know, facilities, and we didn't want that to be his life. So we decided to have more kids. And so we did that with the intention of giving Louis always someone to hang out with. Mm-hmm. So when you figured out that he was, ha- well, when they, Mm-hmm. It became, you didn't have to figure it out. It became obvious. Yeah. You explained that, that he was having all of these seizures. Yeah. Why did they decide to try the keto diet? How is this supposed to work? So the keto diet was pretty interesting. Um, I've never been a fan of diets. I've always been, you know, um, I wouldn't say slim, but I've always been athletic. So yeah. I, I'm a runner. Yeah. yeah. So I, I try and, you know, just keep up with that kind of stuff. And um, when they said a diet, I automatically thought, no, diets are for for people who need to lose weight or something. Mm-hmm. Like, my kid doesn't need to lose weight. He's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was very much turned off at first, mm-hmm. but then they showed us the studies mm-hmm. with the keto diet. Mm-hmm. And um, we were like, okay, well, let's let's give this a go. Let's see what happens. And we were amazed. We were floored. What, what, did, what did the studies show? So the studies were showing that they were actually getting rid of seizures. 
Like there was something in a high fat diet high fat, um, low carb diet that was actually improving brain function to the point that they were getting rid of migraines. I don't, so there's, there's differing opinions with the keto diet because they did do studies, but a lot of the studies that they did on adults, they didn't have a lot of success, Mm -hmm. but that's because with an adult, you can only tell them not to eat so many times before an adult is going to eat what he or she wants to eat. Right. Whereas you know? Louie has a feeding tube. Louie so. has a tube. There's no getting away from it. So, and also any kid. So most kids, yeah. like they only can eat what you give them. Right. Yeah. I mean, so he does, he does mouth feed, he is, but you can always adjust as long as you track, you can always adjust. Right. So he's, he's starting to eat by mouth, which is why I yeah. made the chicken, the pollo frito. I, yeah. I have a keto version, yeah. <laughs> but, um, so with the chicken, for example, he can feed himself the chicken. He's learning to with the ABA we've been doing. It's been really successful. So yeah, he, he can actually feed himself that chicken. And the studies have shown that with the keto diet, the seizures have gone down and he, they actually got rid of his seizures completely for about a month. So he had no seizures. We thought it was the best thing ever. We thought it cured him. It was great. We started seeing that his genes are basically fighting a way around that or that mutation, if you will, was finding a way around the keto. So for a lot of kids, Mm -hmm. it does work completely and it takes away their seizures. For Louie, it it didn't work. It worked and then it didn't work. So his body adapted. Basically. Yeah. His body definitely adapted. So you're not back to the full number of seizures, but you suspect it'll. Yeah. So every time we take him off keto, cause we've start stopped and started a few times mm-hmm. seeing if maybe, um, the diet didn't work or whatever. And every time we took him off keto, his seizures would skyrocket. So it would go from maybe 17 a day to 35 a day. Um, and so we put him back on keto, they go back down to 10 and then gradually start up. So every time we restart the keto diet, the seizures, excuse me, the seizures go back up more steadily than they did before. Like, is this just going to be a cycle? You keep him on and then you take him off to kind of reset. So the doctor is actually thinking about taking, taking him off of keto entirely right now, just because it is such a high fat diet. Mm. Um, and it is very medical. So unlike mm. a lot of other diets we think of nowadays, the keto diet is treated for medical purposes at mm. hospitals. And so because of that, they have to look at the entire body, right? The mm. cholesterol, the everything that comes with a high mm. fat diet. And so mm-hmm. with Louie being on a high fat diet for so long, they're thinking that might not be the healthiest thing mm-hmm. either. So they want to go ahead and maybe take him off, mm-hmm. you know, maybe indefinitely, maybe for a year or two, whatever it is to kind of get his body back on a regular kid diet right. and less, less fat. Right, right, right. Um, okay, okay. Does that scare you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Terrifies me. <laughs> so, I mean, I laugh through it because it's like, if you don't laugh, you cry. <laughs> yeah. But um, mm. I, I worry about, like, when we take him off, like, for good, and we all if we try and put him back on, like, what does that look like? If we take him off and we have no intention to get back on it, you know, how quickly, because we already know the seizures are going to get worse. Mm. It's genetically in there. It's part of his mutation. We know this is what we're in for. Other kids that have this HEW1 genetic variation already have, you know, bad seizures. So some of them don't, um, but a lot of them do. And you know he does. And we know now he does. So it's just not going away. And it's scary, too, because I've talked to his geneticist, and she tries to calm me with these fears. But it's hard not thinking about Louie dying, you know, before a certain age. Like, he's not even 10, and he's falling over dozens of time every day, uh, times every day. So we're trying to, 
think about like why aren't there any kids with epilepsy that have what he has that we haven't discovered yet because we have discovered quite a few people through our Facebook group and around the world now and I mean this is you know, eight years after his diagnosis. So we're thinking, okay, there's a lot more people that have this, but why aren't there people of a certain age that have found us with the mutation with seizures? Because there are adults that have found us. I see. But they don't have the epilepsy. So it's... So essentially anyone who has the seizure disorder associated with the Huey is not outliving. They're not living to a certain age because they're not... You would, you would know. You would have found them. Right. So with the epilepsy, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of them are in their 30s. Like, we're still learning so much about this mutation, which is why I created the nonprofit, too, so I can try and, you know, we, we I say I, I am really not doing half as much as other people are doing, but um, we're trying to figure out how can we find this pool of people that have survived the epilepsy epilepsy um and we're trying to figure out what is the cure and if there is one and if people are passing away before a certain age and that terrifies me um yeah. More than anything, that terrifies me so much. Uh, again, I said I want to cry, <laughs> but um, okay yeah. So yeah, so yeah. So that's that's the goal with the nonprofit. It's curing the epilepsy. Uh, you know, increasing the awareness of keto too. Like I wish someone would have came to me about the keto diet earlier and said, "Oh, he has he has epilepsy. Let's try keto." Like from the beginning, because yeah. why go through the insurance? Why go through all the the doctor appointments, everything? If we didn't have keto first, I know. They told me later it's because of insurance. They want to make sure you try the drugs first and then the diet change. But what sense Isn't does that, that make? Back ass words, right? Like how that crazy? The, I I'm sorry. I'm sorry <laughs> not to be very judgmental, but you would try medications before a lifestyle yeah. change. No, our our health insurance said you have to try the medications first, and if that doesn't work, we'll try keto. And so we mm. tried the medications. They did not work, and our doctor mm. said, "Well, let's try keto." And I said, "That's a diet." Like mm. Kim Kardashian does that. That can't work. Mm. And then no, they, the doctor really pushed for it. She said it actually is very successful even with Alzheimer's mm. so people with Alzheimer's are actually showing decreased symptoms when they are put on the ketogenic diet yeah I've read a little bit about that yeah so I mean it's crazy what the diet can do but it's funny that they didn't say that first because I really that wish that's a little alarming yeah. and maybe gives you a little bit of an insight into what's going on that you big pharma <laughs> I, I, keep, well, I keep trying to avoid um I I have maybe a little bit of a tendency to be a conspiracy Mm-hmm. conspiracy theorist and so yeah. I actually really try to actively avoid them and yeah. because I mean listen like we can trash it but Big Pharma is keeping a lot of people alive too yeah. oh right? yeah. yeah and so I really they made some of the drugs he uses yeah so yeah. I want to be fair yeah. it's an easy bandwagon to jump on right I guess yep. you know it's an easy enemy to hate and so I want to not be that person yep you hear a story like this, though, and that's a little um, alarming. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't even told about it until Hopkins, I think, two years into our seizures. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a question that I wanted to ask. And, um, I mean, I guess just like you said, you learn you learned this thing. You know, keto is helpful in all of these ways. And insurance companies won't let you try lifestyle changes. It's <laughs> I know. Try the medicine. But um, it leads me to kind of a bigger question, which is, like, you know, I follow you. I don't actually know you that well, but I follow <laughs> you on Instagram, and I have for a while. And every time I look at your stuff, I just think there's, like, you're just putting so much more life experience into your life than a lot of us are. I mean, 
honestly just the sheer number of hours that you're awake because you're up with him. You're literally living more life um, conscious. But really, I mean, the experiences that you're having, the people that you're meeting, the, um, you know, you talked about the siblings, the mm -hmm. empathy that it gives them like the ways that you are being stretched, your compassion, your empathy, your grace, you've talked about in ways that um, many of us just haven't been stretched to this point. We think we've been stretched to our max, but we're not anywhere near to you. Mm -hmm. What what would you say are some things, or even just one thing, or however many you want that you've learned as a parent of a special needs child that um, you just, maybe, 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 maybe we just couldn't learn it otherwise? I mean, I think everybody, like, as my grandma, fullest background from yeah. my abuela, like, Everybody has something. That's what she's always told us. You know, like, you know, if I'm having a fight with a sibling, if I'm having, you know, a disagreement with my mom and dad, you know, if I, it's just a friend that I'm just, I talked, I love my grandma. She's like my best friend. So mm. I love talking to her. I love calling her on FaceTime. And if I'm ever complaining about something, like she knows a lot of my friends, like my, it's funny because my whole family knows like all the people I interact with, including Melissa. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so she always said though, everybody has something. Everybody has something that they're going through, you know? She's like, you just don't know it, you know? We're just a little more open about mm -hmm. Louie and the nonprofit and everything, you know? Mm -hmm. And because of the Instagram page we started, Louie's Huey. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I really do think everybody goes through something like this in their life. Um, and I think do personally, I think God gives us each mm -hmm. a certain amount of stress we can all handle. For mm -hmm. me, I can just handle maybe a lot more stress, but... Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I'm, you know, I'm experiencing a same mm -hmm. amount of stress maybe that somebody else experiences something with like maybe, I don't know, postpartum mm -hmm. with, you know, an eating disorder. I mean, you see suicide rates going up. Like, I, I promise you, like, I'm nowhere nearing to, I, I joke about it, but I will never jump off a bridge. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I just, I think there are, everybody has something. Everybody is going through something and everybody needs grace. And I think that really is if we could all really just understand that and especially with Louie, I hope people see him mm -hmm. and they see our story and I try and make it like more upbeat. I mean, there's definitely some downer posts. <laughs> yeah. Which is, which is fine. And like mm -hmm, you said, yeah. part of it is being open about it. Yeah. And I think that's mm -hmm. really all you, we all just need to talk about it more. I think there needs to be less, especially with insurance. Like I try mm -hmm. and make a point of sharing that kind of stuff on mm -hmm. like Facebook and you know, the keto diet on, you know, Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I try mm -hmm. and make everybody know like things I've learned going through this because I, I wish more people would have shared about their medical mm -hmm. journeys and about um, different aspects of hardship they had in their lives because mm -hmm. it helps people that are scrolling through Instagram 24-7, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know? Like, yeah, it's great to look at a puppy every now and then, mm -hmm. but if we could really share about the real stuff mm -hmm. on something we're looking at all day long, like, how mm -hmm. beneficial would that be? Mm -hmm. It's so interesting because you talked about the empathy that siblings of special needs kids have, and... Um, I, I have a good friend that I made through this podcast. She's been on here before, and um, her episode is Purim for our Hamantashen for Purim. And um, she had a very severely special needs daughter, and her daughter passed away last summer. And um, I find her to be the most empathetic person I've ever met. And she's constantly asking me how I am. She's constantly checking in with me. She's extremely attuned to the needs of others. And this mm -hmm. is it doesn't, um, I can't quite compute it. Like it doesn't yeah. make sense to me that someone is bearing so much. And 
I guess what I'm also hoping is what people listening understand is like there's so many auxiliary issues, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's finances, yeah. it's fights with insurance companies, yep. it's time on the phone, it's stress with your husband, it's not being able to go out on a date night, it's all of these other things that you're constantly dealing with. And my friend Lauren is the same way. And like I said, she's the most of anyone I've ever met, she's the most in tune with mm-hmm. other people. And now I'm hearing you say the same thing yeah. is like, this has just taught you to be more in tune with the needs of others. And I find that amazing. No, hold on to her. I mean, those people, the empath, mm. the empathetic people mm. are the best. I am not one of them. I am going to be honest. I don't know, like, because you're saying what no, you've learned is to just believe everybody's going through something. I mean, it's true, but it's hard for me to mm. like remind myself, like mm. I can say that on a podcast, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but to actually live it, I mean, that is mm. hard. And I mean, my best friends are the most empathetic people, just like my kids, you know, Mm. which is funny because, you know, look at Melissa, look at, you know, Mm. I I have a friend that lives across the street and she does a lot of our grant work for the nonprofit. Mm. I like roped her into that, but she is constantly like, how are you today? How are Mm. you doing today? And sometimes like she came in one day and I was just in the corner of my house crying and she like came, she gave me a big hug and she was like, I just wanted to check on you. And I'm so glad I did. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the people Mm. that are there that get you through these. Like Mm. I talked about that before like with the nonprofit it was very much a if someone didn't encourage me and say you got this Mm -hmm. I'll help with this or you know let me help do the website let me help do that let me let me do a podcast with you you know like (laughs) if it wasn't for those people Mm -hmm. we wouldn't I would not be here at all because all I saw was so much time like I already spend so much time with the insurance companies I already spend so much time with the school system I already spend so much time with you know Mm -hmm. my family just trying to like you know have a regular family Mm-hmm. And so putting on a nonprofit on top of all that, I was like, I, I can't, I don't have time. I, I can't. And then every time I say that someone else like gives me a call or a text mm-hmm. saying, Hey, I have this opportunity to go, Oh, I want to do this fundraiser. Oh, oh, you know, we're trying to put together a gala. And I told my dad, I was like, I just, I can't like, I, I'm already up at 5.00 AM. I go to bed at 9.00 PM. Like I have a four, six month old baby that wakes me up in between then I have a kid with a, you know, seizures in, in between those times. I was like, I can't do the gala on top of it. And my dad was like, I got it. Don't worry about it. Like me and your mom will do it together. It, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> so all I can say is if, if someone isn't helping you, then just take a break. You don't have to like not be friends, but I think that it's very healthy to just take a break and give yourself some grace, give yourself some peace as well, because that's helped me. Um, so tell us about the nonprofit. Why did you start it? And what are the main goals that you're working towards? Yeah, so the nonprofit is Louis Huey, mm-hmm. named after, you know, Louie. Yes. <laughs> so yes. because I saw so many kids, I think we already talked about that with the H-E-W. I don't remember what got cut out. <laughs> okay. So uh, Louie has H-E-W-1, and I saw yeah. a lot of other nonprofits propping up with the name of their genetic variation. And mm-hmm. so I thought it would be kind of cute if we made ours a little yeah, more personal. It. So we yeah. we made Louie's Huey, who um, you know is named after Louie, and we are trying to raise money for medical research. We are uh, attempting to do fundraisers constantly. We do the most random fundraisers like yard sales and, mm-hmm. you know, everything people raise from the yard sales we put into the nonprofit. We do, um, we did a virtual walk. We just have our, on our Facebook page, a PayPal so we can get donations whenever. Mm-hmm. Melissa is currently running a flower business here in yes. Maryland. If you need a bouquet, if you, you know, made someone Arrange. angry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she sells beautiful flowers here in Maryland. She does. Yeah. All grown in her yard. All, all Yes. That's the amazing part. Like mm-hmm. all in her yard and her yard is 
so gorgeous. Her back, her backyard, you know, where her kids yeah. play. Basically, they play among the wildflowers, which is beautiful. But um, so yeah, so she makes those bouquets and all the money that comes from this. She doesn't even take like a cut or anything. Just all the money goes straight into the nonprofit. Um, and so yeah, I mean, just people doing random fundraisers. That's mm-hmm. how we've been mm-hmm. getting all the money. And where our goal is to get. $250,000, which will create a drug trial for us to hopefully find a drug that can combat the epilepsy that's been affecting the more severe kids like Louie in our community. And so far, we're at somewhere between 40 to 60 people, most of them being children. So we're wow. trying to help, yeah, those kids that have that severe epilepsy. So is there a drug that they think will treat this and they just, it costs a lot of money to pay for the trial or do they have to develop the drug? Like what would the process be? Right. So long story short, we're not sure. Long story short, we're not sure. Um, we'll, that's, we have a scientist on our um uh, scientific advisory board um, under Dr. Uh, Kristen Barinano, who's head of our scientific advisory team. And um, he's thinking that maybe we can look through drugs that are already on the market that we might not have thought of and do some testing on those, see if they could work. We're hoping not to do a actual creating a drug um, if we need to, maybe, but that would be years down the road. So yeah, we're, we're currently just trying to um, see if there is a drug out there. And if not, then we'll be creating one if we have the time and money. But if we could find a drug that's already on the market and do testing with that, then that would be a much faster way. And the idea is that this is just so rare that unless you do it yourself, funding is never going to appear from anywhere else. Yeah. No, I mean, we looked at grants. Mm-hmm. We looked at uh, a lot of different ways to get the money at first, and it just wasn't happening. We were we we're always, be- always, we were always being denied any kind of money because we are too small of a population. So we're a rare orphan disease. And what that means is there's just so few people that have it. But at the same time, like, these kids' lives matter, too. Right. Like, just because not a lot of people have it doesn't mean that their life isn't as important. Right. So we're, we're trying to raise money for our group. And there's other groups that do the same. But um, us specifically are trying to raise, kid, raise money for the drug trial to combat the epilepsy in these children. Right. Right. And as we know, like, there's so many things that once you find something for one use, it very frequently turns out that there's a more... There's a use that um, is beneficial for the general population. Right. So that's what we're hoping, too. We've actually been on a couple of Zoom calls with other nonprofits with other genetic variations. And they all said that, you know, we're we're not a cutthroat kind of industry. Like, in fact, I love these special needs moms because they are so, like, gung-ho. And they're like, tell us how we can help you. Tell us how we can be a part of what you're doing as well and how you can be a part of what we're doing. Because ultimately, mm-hmm. your science is our science. Like, if you make any advancement in gene editing and that kind of stuff, like, it could very well help help us as well. Mm. So it's very much of a positive, encouraging environment for everybody that's trying to raise money for medical research. Mm. Okay. Okay. So I have, I actually have a lot of questions about the science behind it, but I'm not going to do that because we've had, we've had so many issues, but, um, I guess the one, the one question I want to kind of end with, um, you've talked a lot in this episode about, um, showing other people grace, about receiving grace, about, um, you know, this idea, what, what does it mean in Latin out of nowhere? De novo. De novo. Mm-hmm. That this seems... Of nothing. Of nothing, right. Yeah. Like, this didn't come from anywhere except for you believe it It was something God specifically chose for your child and for you, mm-hmm. which is um, a little, it's a little difficult for me 
personally to swallow, and I think there's a lot of so. Yeah, it was for me too. <laughs> my 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 old my oldest and um is started watching House. Did you ever watch mm-hmm. House? Okay, and I started rewatching it, and it's like things like this are his exact explanation for why he doesn't believe there's a God, or certainly that if there is, like mm-hmm. he isn't good. So I'm wondering how have you been able to even hold on to um, your faith through this and more than that, really say that you believe God is actually involved in this. It's not something he's just helping you through, but it was something that he chose. Yeah. I mean, like I said before, like, you know, when that person said, you know, doesn't it make you mad when God, you know, to say God only gives these kids to certain people and it's no, like he, I don't want to say blessing because there are days where I am definitely not thinking it is a blessing, but I do think that this is his way of showing the world what can happen. You know, when people come together, when people like, so have you ever seen Encanto? Yes. (laughs) Okay. So there's one song in Encanto and I start crying every single time. It's like the last song or maybe second to last song where they um, are putting together the house. Mm -hmm. So the house gets destroyed. If those of you who have not seen Encanto, maybe the one person. (laughs) But um, so this house gets destroyed. The community comes together because no one has their special powers anymore. And so they have to be the regular people. And Mm -hmm. so the community comes up the hill and they all put this house. I'm going to start crying again. (laughs) They all put this house together. And it's like, what a beautiful picture, though, of just God's grace and God's gift to us of camaraderie and fellowship. Um, Pulling out of a Disney movie of all places, but like in C.S. Lewis's words, right? Like pain is God's uh, uh, megaphone to a deaf world, to rouse a deaf world. And I see that as Louis. Like there are so many people that are like, I just love this boy. Like he is so precious. And I mean, there are people at his last therapy place that they would fight over who could have Louis for therapy that day because they're like, he's just so loving. Like he just wants to get into your lap and like mm. snuggle you. And they're like, that's so like just calming to be with him. Mm. And I think a lot of people, you know, we we don't we take things for granted mm. way too often. And I think seeing Louis mm. and seeing how he leads a really happy life, like despite mm. the seizures, I mean, he is a happy kid and everybody knows him in our neighborhood and they all love him. And I think it is a beautiful picture of God's grace and God's relationship with us too, because I mean, you know, he just, God loves us unconditionally. You know, we are, you know, if we are in his, you know, grace and I think with Louis too. I mean, it's. I, I love that kid. Like, I, I would I do. Know, I think I, I proved it. Yeah. Like, I, I would do anything with him, including starting this nonprofit, mm-hmm. which I fought tooth and nail. But I think seeing Louis, it really has put that back in my mind. Like, I'm not saying I don't have bad days. I'm not saying like you know mm-hmm. I I question because I I have. Of course. Um, but I do think that God chose this child specifically for me, and mm-hmm. I think he looked at me and he was like. I know you can handle it, so that's why I'm going to give him to you. Mm. You know, I, I, I know it's going to be hard, but again, we all have something. We all mm. go through, you know, different kinds of struggles, mm. and it's how we rise out of that struggle. And he gives us what we need to rise out of that struggle. Mm. And um, I'm, I'm proud that he chose me for it. That's a really beautiful picture of that that song in Encanto <laughs> of people coming together. And it is true that. Um, difficulty brings out the worst, Mm -hmm. but also the best in people. So if 
if we want to bring like if we want the best <laughs> if we feel like this is something that we want to contribute to yeah. or come together um and be on your team mm-hmm. um to help with then what can we do so melissa sells flowers <laughs> no i mean seriously though like we my husband and i we've talked about this before we hate asking for money like we've never been those type of people that would create a GoFundMe. Like I never even had a GoFundMe until recently because I was like, no, he's my kid. I I got this. I can, I can keep my own kid alive for crying out loud. But recently we were like, we need to start asking for help. And I'll never forget a Bible study I went to when um, they talked about asking for help. And it's like, sometimes you don't want to inconvenience people. You don't want to say, Hey, can you help me? But you're also robbing that person of the joy of being able to help you. Like you're not giving them that opportunity either. And and I was like, you know, you're right. Like when my friend goes through something, like I want her to say, hey, can you watch my kids for a minute? And I mean, you say, yeah, like, let me, let me do that for you. So um, I, I have recently started asking for help in the last year. And that's exactly what we're doing with this nonprofit. And on our, we have a um, webpage, which is uh, www.huwe1.org. Mm-hmm. One, It'll be right there in the yep. show notes. Everybody can yep. click on it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so on the website, there's a there's a Louis Huey page, and you can PayPal that way. Um, you can, uh, we have a Facebook page as well. You can, you know, message us. Uh, I have my own um, Unbreakable Louis Coulter page for Louis. And I mean, we, we love questions. We love interactions with people about it we love teaching people about what it is and you know raising money for this drug research and we're we always have a lot of fundraisers going on like we had a t-shirt fundraiser we have the flowers we have yard sales we have i mean there's always something going on in fact what we're going to be doing um just another like give-a-thon we did one last year we're going to do one again this year coming up for louis's birthday um so be on the lookout for that. But yeah, I mean, any little bit helps. I mean, I had one friend that was like, you know what, I'm, I'm here at the yard sale. I don't really like anything. I don't really need anything. My house, my house has enough stuff. Can I just give you five bucks? And I was like, absolutely. Like, sure. Like, I'm, I'm so grateful that you would even give five bucks. Like you see, I'm pretty sure you gave $10 at the last fundraiser, but sure. Like, absolutely. And it adds up. I mean, it really does. So, um, so yeah, I would say, you know, if you can, great. If not, just, you know, just love on them when you see them and, you know, Pass it on. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Wonderful. Is there anything that you wanted to share that I didn't ask about? No, I think we, we got through a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Um, a lot of fun is kind of a stupid thing to say. <laughs> no, it was. I had fun. This is new for me. <laughs> it was. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think it was It was very educational and inspiring and inspiring. You're a very inspiring person. Thank so you thank you. You too. This podcast is like a thing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So thank you. And I hope you have a great day. Thanks again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think, oh, in the end. Oh, jittery. In the end, I know. (laughs) In the end, it wasn't, it was. Thank you so much for tuning in today, for listening all the way to the end. Links for Louise Huey and ways to contact Elizabeth are in the show notes. Just a reminder to please subscribe to the podcast so that you can get notifications to listen to upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed or resonated with this episode, would you please forward it to friends or family that you think would enjoy it also? This is the best way for the podcast to grow. Finally, ratings and reviews really do help and they encourage me personally to keep going ahead and telling these stories. So if you would leave a review or rating, that would be wonderful also. 
I think that's it. Thank you. Have a great week, my friends.